0: Well, there is a group of preschool kids, and they were asked by their teacher, how do you help out at home? What are some things that you do at home to help mom and dad, and how do you serve at home? What are some things you do to help out? And this one little girl said, well, what I do is uh, in the evening after dinner, my mom takes off her watch, and she puts it on my wrist, and then I run around the whole upstairs and downstairs of the house so she gets enough steps in for the day. The watch says 10,000 steps, but was it really 10,000 steps or did you have some help, right? Kind of in a similar way, our view of Christianity can be like that. We can look like we're doing it, but actually it's kind of like just going through the motions. And what we're going to see in our text today is some ways and practices that we see that make Christianity what God intended it to be, a real faith in real life where we grow in our relationship with him and we uh, walk out what it means there's so many false pictures out there of what christianity is and i want to kind of cover three practices we're going to see from god's word that share what christianity is and some of these may be a surprise to you but they're there throughout god's word and so i want us to take a look but the question that we're going to wrestle with is what is a relationship with jesus really like What is a relationship with Jesus really like? I'm excited to be back into our uh, series on Mark. We're going through the book of Mark in the New Testament. And we're calling the series Amazed. And so today uh, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 to 41. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to go there. Uh, You can either turn it on on your phone Or turn there if you uh, are new to the Bible and you have a paper Bible. Mark is about three quarters of the way through. If you get to the New Testament and you go Matthew, then you'll find Mark. If you hit Luke, John, Acts, or anything like that, you went a little too far. And we're going to look at chapter 4, and we're going to focus on those verses 35 to 41. So I'm going to read that in its entirety and then comment on it as we go. So Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? Jesus got up and rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Earlier in the book of Mark, we see Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and what it's like and he used parables he used teachings to explain what the kingdom of God is all about and now there's a shift now he's moving from teaching about the kingdom of God to actually performing powerful miracles to demonstrate the kingdom of God we see him do it now over the wind and the waves and then we're going to continue to see him as you read through mark 5 and 6 he heals a person who's possessed by a demon then he heals someone who's sick And then he raises a little girl from the dead. So he taught about the kingdom. Now he's doing it and exercising it in power so people see what the kingdom of God is like. And in this passage, this uh, interaction that he has on the boat, we can look at this and say, why did Jesus allow this storm to take place? Why did Jesus allow his disciples to go through this storm? It doesn't seem like a cruel thing to put someone through. Why would he do that? Even though he knows on the other side there's going to be calm, why did he do that? And I want to see as we wrestle with that question, there's three realities that we experience in our walk with Jesus that we see in this text. Three realities that we experience today that we see in this text. First of all, number one is sometimes Jesus allows storms to come into our life. Sometimes Jesus allows storms to come into our life. Jesus made a decision in verse 35. He said, we're going to the other side of the lake. The disciples didn't think anything of that. They were fishermen, most of them, and they knew this lake like the back of their hands. It was easy for them. They got the boat together. They said, yeah, let's go to the other side of the lake. This was something very common. They were obeying Jesus, but in a way this was easy obedience because they have been there and done that. They knew this lake well. But then all of a sudden, this great storm, this violent storm, breaks out onto the sea, and it's more than they can handle. It pushes them to their limits of what their experience as fishermen could handle. It takes them to the end of their rope. Sometimes Jesus does that with us. He allows the storms of life to come into our lives and take us beyond what we feel we can handle in our own strength. There's a little misquote that has happened a lot in Christian churches, and I talked about this in the past. And sometimes you'll hear Christians say this phrase. They'll say, God will never give you more than what you can handle. And I just want to say that's not scriptural, depending on what you mean by that. But at face value, it's not scripture because there are times where storms of life and trials of life come into our lives, and they put us on our knees to the point where we feel like we can't handle that in our own strength. And I think God allows that to happen to take us to the end of our selfish will so that we call out to him for help. In fact, the way that phrase came about was in 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, there, God will not allow you to be tempted without a way of escape in temptation. It's not talking about a trial. And the apostle Paul wrote that. And that same apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 wrote that, we are going through such trials and such pain and such suffering that I thought we were going to die. In fact, he says, I wish we would have died. He was taken to the end of his rope. He was taken; The suffering was pushing the apostle and their team to the point where they had no choice but to cry out to God for help. And that's what he said. They turned to the God of all comfort during those times. So this happens, there's these moments where Jesus allows the storms of life that we can't handle on our own for his purpose to shape us and to form us and bring us closer to him. One of the most important principles of the Christian life is this, that sometimes we have difficulties as consequences of bad decisions we make. But there are times when God allows difficulty into our lives. And so many of you can say amen to that because I've, as your pastor, walked through some of those with you and you've shared going through rough times. And that's what I love about this faith called Christianity. It's a real faith for real life. It's not this whitewashed fake thing we practice, but it's real. And part of the reality of it is we go through difficult times. Contrary to some of the modern pictures of Christianity out there, Jesus didn't solve all the disciples' problems. Jesus didn't make all the bad stuff go away. He didn't protect them from all the trials, but he never left or forsake them in the midst of it. He was more concerned about their spiritual growth than he was their earthly comfort. And a call to follow Jesus means we have to give up those things and trust that he's going to lead us into the path he wants for our growth in him to his glory. In fact, the book of Mark says, uh, scholars would tell you that Mark, when he wrote this, was relying on a lot of eyewitness account from the Apostle Peter. In fact, people say that if there was ever a, a, a gospel of Peter, it's the gospel of Mark, because Peter helped Mark uh, write this gospel. And I think it's interesting that while we see throughout the gospel of Mark these times where Jesus allows suffering in the life of his disciples, that in the book of 1 Peter, who helped Mark write this, he writes this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. God uses suffering in our lives for His purpose. He takes immature disciples as we see in this boat, and He brings trials to shape them to form them. And he does the same thing with us. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but I want to look at the second reality that we see from this, and that is that sometimes we doubt Jesus' care for us. Sometimes we doubt Jesus' care for us. This was totally true for the disciples here. In verse 38, they say, Don't you care that we are going to die? They just lay it out. Don't you care that we are going to die? And I understand what drove them to that question. At the same time, though they were captivated by fear, though they were worried, though they were stressed out, and though they were trying to deal with this real thing called the storm, I get that, but in another way, this was the cruelest question they could have asked the Son of God. Don't you care about us? Because Jesus' whole mission in life The whole reason he was on earth was because God so loved the world. God so cared about us so much that Jesus arrived on the scene. Because Jesus saw this reality of sinful, broken humanity separated from a holy, living God who brings them life because of this thing called sin. And Jesus stepped into time and space on earth to live the perfect life that we can't because we are fallen, broken human beings. Then he went to the cross. He paid for the penalty of our sin to now bring together broken humanity redeemed by Jesus' work on the cross and a holy God that now we have relationship with him. Does he care? Of course he cares. He cares in ways that we would never, ever imagine. He can care for us in ways we can't even care for ourselves. Sometimes when life is hard, it's so easy for us in our human fragility to doubt the care of God. But that is one of the most subtle lies that we can ever take. God cares more for us than we can imagine. He is always moved with compassion and care towards you, especially in difficult times. There's this lie that when we go through difficult times, it means God must hate us or something. That's a lie. You will not find anything like that in this book that's our guide to the Christian life. Even in difficult times, God is there. There's a lady named Corey Tim Boom who lived during World War II. She's the author of a book called The Hiding Place. And during the Holocaust, her family, who were devout Christian people, saved up to 800 people Jewish lives during that time. They lived in Amsterdam, Netherlands and when the Nazi army came and invaded Netherlands uh, they recreated their attic to be a hiding place for the Jewish people who were in that town and they hid several, as I said, up to 800 people. There was an informant that told the uh, Nazi army what they were doing and so the whole Ten Boom family was uh, captured and they all went to a concentration camp. They were a faithful Christian family doing the right thing, yet they suffered greatly. All of them were taking Corey's dad and sister died in the concentration camps. Corey lived and went on to minister uh, to several, several people talking about how God moved in the midst of suffering in a powerful way. And one of my favorite quotes from her is this one. She says, There's nothing too great for God's power and nothing too small for God's love. There's nothing too great for God's power, and nothing too small for God's love. You see, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of storm, we can never ever believe the lie that Jesus doesn't care for us, that Jesus our Savior and our Lord is there, because nothing could be further from the truth. There's a final reality I want to look at from this scripture, and that's this, that sometimes we are so distracted in this life that we forget Jesus is God. Sometimes we are so distracted in this life we forget Jesus is God. Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the sea. That was his word. That's what he declared to his disciples. And in the storm, the disciples needed to be reminded that that's what Jesus said. That happens to us as well. We want to do something in life, and then we read something in this book called the Bible that says we shouldn't do that. We have to pause and say, who wrote this? And we have to remind ourselves that he, the living God of the universe, wrote this book, and if he puts something in here, that means that is the very best thing for my life. And do I trust him enough to obey? That's the call that comes. We have to trust him enough to do that. The disciples failed to remember that Jesus is God, or they were at least processing it to try to decide. But in doing so, they blew off a wonderful practice of the Christian life for when you go through a trial. They did not hold on to his word in the middle of a storm. They did not hold on to his word in the middle of the storm. God gives us his word. When we talk about God's word, we're talking about scripture, we're talking about the Bible. God gives us his word. And when you go through a difficult time, when you go through a trial, He gives us His word to hang on to that should speak louder than any storm we experience. We open His word and we find a verse that speaks to our heart, and we camp on that. We hang on that. We put it in our phone. We put it in front of us. We say, "This is what I'm going to hang on to to get me through this difficult time. I'm going to hang on to God's word. I'm not going to allow the volume of the storm to be louder than the volume of God's word in my life. When I go through a trial, I'm going to turn up the volume of what jesus says and what god declares versus what i'm experiencing currently in my life at this time that's a beautiful wonderful gift that god gave us in his word to hang on to when we go through the difficult times we can't forget that we have to hang on to god's word which brings us to a key question why does god allow storms and failures in our lives anyway Why are trials part of walking with Jesus? Why are our failures part of walking with Jesus? Well, let's look at where Jesus led his disciples after the storm passed. So the storm was calmed, and then look at verse 40 again. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. If you sum up this passage, one of the key things you have to see here is fear. There's fear all over the disciples in this moment. Just like there's fear all over our world. Fear is like a pandemic in our world now. There's a fear. Fear and anxiety are all over the place. And the early church, if you read what the early church did, they didn't miss the metaphor in this story. Where the disciples are in the storm is so much like the church in the world today. Where all sorts of things are screaming at us, enticing our fears and our anxieties. And so makes it so easy for us to let go and forget that He is God. But we're going to see that Jesus asks this key, crucial question. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's going to build on that question in the chapters to come. But there's something I want you to grab from this. The disciples had some things happening in the midst of this. Look at verse 41. It says, they were at peace. They were blown away that he had calmed that storm. No, they were terrified. They were awestruck. The actual original word refers to a reverence and a fear that overtakes people when they encounter supernatural power of God. It's a descriptive word that the early church used. They were stunned. They couldn't believe. They were awestruck because of what they just witnessed. Through trials, through difficulty, through this crazy time, Jesus led his disciples to the awe of God. He led them into his presence he led them to see that though this is hard, though this is a, brings out fear, those is, though this brings out anxiety, there's something greater that you can't see and that's the power and the awe of Almighty God. And I'm going to pull back the curtain of heaven and earth and just show you a second how powerful this is. And he silenced the storm in their midst and they were blown away. What in the world is going on? What kind of faith casts out fear? A faith that knows He is God and that He cares for us. Jesus used this experience as hard as it was to lead His disciples into a deeper level of spiritual maturity. Only in times of difficulty will we experience that. I wish I could say that all we need to grow is Good teaching and good content and and good experiences in our life groups and times to serve God. Those are all good things. I'm not saying they're not. But sometimes nothing will take us closer to Jesus like a trial or a tribulation that we go through. Sometimes nothing brings us to the end of our selfish wills and closer to Jesus than going through a difficult time. God uses that in our life. He leads his disciples into deeper levels of spiritual maturity and sometimes only difficulties can do that. And now we're going to see something amazing where God will take content, scripture that human beings pour over and then in times of trial bring that back to mind to them to show them that he is God. And he did it in this story but you have to kind of dig and look for it but it's there, and when you see it, it's amazing. I want to take you that, there now. The disciples were Jewish men. They grew up in a Jewish culture. And in that Jewish culture, they were taught the Old Testament. And they were taught it in very different ways so that they would remember. They taught it through uh, oral teaching. They taught it through experience. They taught it through song. In fact, the book of Psalms, the majority of the Psalms are songs that the Jewish people would sing over and over and over so it would get into their head. Like a song that you would sing and it gets stuck in your head. That was their goal, that the Psalms would get stuck in the heads of the people singing these songs. And these disciples who were in this boat experienced that when they were young. And as they grew, they had these songs that would come. And I want to show you one that was particularly important to what they just went through here in the boat in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bible, keep your finger in Mark 4, but flip to Psalm 107. Go towards the left, you'll go past Amos, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Proverbs, then you get to Psalms. Psalm 107 was a song that the disciples learned growing up. I'm going to read to you Psalm 107, 23 to 31, and see if you can pick up anything familiar that's going on in what we just read in Mark. It says this, Others went to sea and ships. This is the song. This is the song that the disciples taught were taught when they were little that they had in their heads. They saw the Lord's works, His wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea. Rising up to the sky, sinking down in the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. This is what they were experiencing. They reeled and staggered in that boat like a drunkard. And all their skill was useless. All their skill as being fishermen didn't help this. What did they do? Verse 28, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor, that they long for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wondrous works for all humanity. Do you see what happened? They had this song about the storm that God stilled, and all of a sudden they saw that take place. Verse 28-29 says, They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves and the sea were hushed. I believe God took this Bible song that they sang from the time they were little, planted it in their hearts for this moment in Mark chapter 4 when they would experience that and what was planted all of a sudden collided with reality. And God used the painful experiences to draw them close as he married them to his word to increase their faith and increase their trust that he is God if you look in verse 41 it says they were terrified back in psalm 107 verse 30 it says they rejoiced it commands them to rejoice in psalm 107 but mark in the storm they were terrified They were not just stunned and terrified and in awe because in a moment Jesus took this storm and hushed it and it was stilled. They were in awe and stunned and terrified because they just watched Jesus in a moment hush this storm. It collided with the word of God in their heart and they knew he was God. This was God that was standing there. This was God in their midst. That's why they were freaked out. That's why they were terrified. God was brought into this place of their lives where they connected these things, they connected the dots, and they said, Though we went through this trial, we see that He is God. This experience the disciples had in the storm was a test to grow their faith. It was a test for them to press through and see who Jesus really, really was. And He does that with us as well. He allows us to experience trials, which many of you have experienced. He allows us to experience failures, which many of us have experienced, so that our walk will deepen with Him and that we will begin to see Him as God more clearly than we did before. Here's a fact. Sometimes God does not take away all our problems and pain because He cares for us so much. He cares enough not to take it all away because He knows in the end result we will see that He is God. And the greatest thing that we can have is more of God. The greatest thing we can have in this life above our earthly comfort is more of God. In this life there will be scars In this life, there will be painful experiences and painful memories. You have shared them, I know that. Fake Christianity says we have no problems. Fake Christianity says there's no pain when you follow Jesus. It's not true. Real faith and real life says that God is ever present, even in the difficulties, and He uses them to create in us the image of His Son so that we look more like Jesus Christ, like a sculpture a sculptor with a block of marble. God is the sculptor. We're this big, hard block of marble. Doesn't that boost your ego? We are the marble. Marble's hard. Marble's tough. Marble represents our stubborn nature that becomes so natural to us. Marble represents our self-centeredness that comes so natural to us. Marble represents our self-made rules that we declare that I'm not going to do that unless this because that comes so natural to us. The sculpture uses a hammer and a chisel and that requires pain and that requires trial at times. But here's the deal. He's not shaping you so that your face kind of resembles Jesus. He's shaping you so your entire life is a reflection Of Jesus and that requires a lot of work sometimes it requires a lot of pounding it requires a lot of pain for that to happen because he's deciding which edges do I rub off and which edges need breaking but through it all he can be trusted because the one who holds the hammer and the chisel is the Almighty perfect God of the universe And he knows what he's doing. He can be trusted. And when the master sculptor is finished, there will be a masterpiece before him. And what this word promises us is that when our life is done and we stand before him and he returns and we have a glorified body, the masterpiece within us will be made to perfection because of who he is. This masterpiece will be so tied to God's heart that we will know He is God. And we'll see that on the other side of all this pain and suffering. It's easy to meet God in moments of joy. And we look at moments of joy and we rightly thank God for those and we take those as a blessing. But the challenge is to know that He is also there in times of difficulty as well. To know God's presence in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of depression, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of failure. You see, we see God in great times and we say, yeah, God is there. But let me tell you something. He is Emmanuel, God with us, even in the midst of the most difficult trial that we can ever experience. He's still there. He's God with us in the trial, just like He's God with us in the joyful moments. Don't, 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 don't run from God during the sculpting of difficult times. Don't run from God during the pain, because He is there. Call out to Him. Invite Him in, because no matter what the trial is, He will be faithful to sustain you, and to keep you, and to transform you into all that he desires of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there's something so real about life with you. There's there's so much counterfeit in our world there's so much counterfeit and fakeness in what we experience in this life day in and day out. And we thank you that you don't play that game, but that you, your faith is a real faith, that you are real and you are living and you are active in every part of our lives that we experience. The things we can name and understand and the things that break our hearts and we can't figure out why. But God, I thank you that you, are, you can be found in all of it. So, Lord, I pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to see you. I pray that you'd give us the strength to cling to your word, that we would turn up the volume of your voice and your promises in our life in the midst of difficult times and difficult places. God, allow this to happen, and I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.